Hello, and welcome to a very special episode of Tools, Talents, and Techniques. I'm your host, Dustin Sutton, and today we have the honor and the privilege of welcoming Mr. T. Dallas Smith to the show. He's a commercial real estate broker, pioneer, if you will, uh, based out of Atlanta, done some of the, the larger deals in, um, in the country over the past few years. And he recently came out with a book called In the Black, Changing the Dominant Narrative in the Commercial Real Estate Industry. And in this conversation, we talk about a lot of the, the points that he covers in the book. But this, this was a, a very remarkable day for me to have this conversation with him. Um, you know, he's somebody who, who I followed for the past few years and just hearing his story and it's a story of resilience, of inspiration, and it really does serve as a testament to his determination and finding his path. So I really hope that our listeners, you enjoy this conversation, even remotely close to as much as I enjoyed having it, because even though people are having a really hard time in the commercial real estate industry and the markets in general, it really helps me, and I'm speaking for myself here, but I know I'm not alone in this, but hearing people talk about the journey and the ups and the downs and persevering and finding a way through, um, it's, a, it's a big help. And I know not just for me, I know it's for a lot of people feel similarly. So once again, hope you enjoy this as much as I enjoyed having it. Here he is, Mr. T. Dallas Smith. Dallas, I want to start off by saying thank you very much for joining us. Appreciate you being here and sharing your uh, your wisdom and your insights and your presence. Man, it's a pleasure to be here. It's a pleasure to be asked. And the fact that you're in San Diego makes it even more uh, exciting to me, being a little guy from Atlanta, Georgia. So. Oh, you're, you're too humble. Little guy from Atlanta. Okay. I, so there, there's a lot that I would love to cover here and, uh, and, and going through your, your book in the black, you cover a, a lot of information and there's some things I definitely want to touch on, but before I start going into some of the specific questions that I have of you and your journey, your experience, can you just give the listeners um, a quick rundown on who you are and how you got started? Sure. So I'm, um... T. Dallas Smith, uh, first name's actually Tanalo Smith, but I'm sure Dustin may ask that question. But uh, I go by T. Dallas Smith. I got into commercial real estate in 1982. Uh, a guy by the name of Thomas W. Tift brought me into the real estate business. Uh, he just passed a couple of years ago, missing dearly. Uh, he was 94 years old. Uh, two very unlikely parties coming together. <laughs> uh, but how it happened was, didn't really know what I wanted to be when I grew up kind of thing. I just knew I wanted to make a lot of money. And so in 1982, ironically, that happened to be the year Forbes came out with their list. And so the very first time was in 1982, the richest 400 people. And I did, and I took an old ledger sheet and I wrote down the richest 400 people by hand individually. So you had Warren Buffett, investment guy, Omaha, Nebraska, his net worth. Uh, Donald Trump, real estate developer, New York City, his net worth. T. Boone Pickens, old man, where he's from, his net worth. So I did that with everybody. 
And what I realized at the end of those 400, I came away with four categories, real estate, investments, oil industry, and technology. And to this day, it's still pretty much the same thing. Uh, but, you know, I tell people all the time, Dustin, you know, I'm from Atlanta. I'm Atlanta born, Atlanta bred. When I die, I'll be Atlanta dead. So I wanted to stay in Atlanta. And so investments would have taken me to New York. Oil industry would have taken me to Texas. Technology just wasn't my cup of tea. So it left me with real estate. And then real estate, I didn't want to work on the weekends. <laughs> so that knocked out residential. So literally, I just backed into the industry. And so the next thing was trying to find somebody who knew somebody in the industry. And that's ultimately, that's the short version of how I got into this business and hadn't looked back. It's been 41 years ago. Wow. One of the things that I've read in your book, especially when you talk about the timing of, of when you came to this decision. So you got introduced to convert when you were, you were 19 years old when you were like, this is what I'm doing. This is what I'm doing. I was a sophomore at Georgia State. At uh, 19 years old, yes. I want to I want to jump forward because this is probably one of the most impactful moments for for me. One one yeah. of many actually in in your book. When you had that epiphany with Leonte, when you and I don't I don't want to tell it all or explain the whole book, but could you walk through that moment when you had that epiphany? Sure. So. I've been in the real estate a long time. Even at that time, it was 20 plus years. And I've been the black guy in this industry in this town for a long time. I was the first black broker at Cushman and Wakefield. After I left Mr. Tiff, I went to work for Cushman and Wakefield. Um, that was in 1989. First black broker in the city of Atlanta, which is kind of hard to, to, to wrap your head around. This is a black city. Um, I'm the first one there. And they were owned by the Rockefellers. And so when I left there, I ended up working for a guy named Herman Russell. So Herman Russell, even then, I was really sort of a, um, a solo band, if you will. Uh, I, was, I, I was came over there at Russell to start a broker's division, but I was in my 30s and I was still full of ego and really was just trying to, looking back at it, I really wasn't trying to start a division. I was just trying to fatten my pockets, if I really were very honest with myself. So but the history of being the only one in the room oftentimes um, was a struggle. But, you know, I tell people, if you're going to play football, you're going to get hit. You know, <laughs> if you're mm. going to play basketball, it probably helps if you're a little taller, right? So if you're going to be in commercial real estate, odds are you're going to often be the only one in the room. Uh, if you're black, of color, or female, you're probably going to be the only one in the room a lot. And so the point is you have to get comfortable in that environment. You don't have to like it, but you got to get comfortable with it, right? You may play football. You may not want to get hit, but you got to get comfortable with it. And so I've gone through a lot of these, being in the room where it was very obvious they didn't want you in the room. Um, I know what that feels like. And uh, I don't want anyone to feel less than or not wanted. You know, it was just a tough thing. So kind of fast forward, I didn't realize this, but this was – sort of my reality was that, you know, I would get the calls from the white firms. If they met, a, if they interviewed a black person, if they, if they met Dustin Sutton, they often wouldn't hire you, but they, they'll ask you, have you met Dallas Smith? 
And so mm. then you would call me and they'd say, well, XYZ company said I would give you a call. So I would have these calls from a lot of different black folks who were trying to get jobs at other places. And that, this is what I would typically do. I would say, well, do you have a license? And they'd say, no. I'd say, get your license and we'll talk. And so really that's how I got rid of people, Dustin, because no one ever came back. So I meet Leontay, 2004, 2005. Uh, I'm sorry, 2006 is when I meet him. And just like everybody else, he wants to get in commercial real estate. I've said this to 50 people over the years. You have your license. No, sir. Get your license. We'll talk. So when I said that to him, I literally thought that was it because it's worked 50 times before. You know, nobody ever came back. So surely this guy's gone too. Three weeks later, this guy comes back with his license. And this was over a Thanksgiving, Christmas holiday. He comes back, Miss Smith, I got my license. He's smiling. He's got this big smile. When you meet him, that's just who he is. He always has this big smile. But in my mind, I was thinking like, what, what the hell am I going to do with this kid? <laughs> Nobody ever came back. So I never had a plan B to get rid of people because uh, I was convinced I wasn't going to have a brokerage company. Although you read the book, I talked about it in a, in a presentation with Dr. Schwartz, but the reality of that happened, I don't think I really wrapped my head around that. And so now in my head, it's operation, get rid of Leontay. So mm -hmm. for three weeks, I had him doing the most ridiculous things for two weeks. I had him doing the most ridiculous thing. I mean, he was getting my lunch, going, washing my car, walking my dog, going to set the alarm at my house picking up trash. I mean, all types of things for two weeks. And I never talked real estate about it to him and purposely. I'm, I'm going to do this for two weeks. So he, hopefully he'd get frustrated, tell me I'm out of here. And I go back to my normal life. That was the plan I had in my head. But everything I asked him to do, not only did he do it, he did it with a, a you know, with a servant's heart, a smiling face, um, uh, and this one particular day, this was the day I was going to get rid of him. I, this was the only real estate thing I asked him. I said, Leonte. So he came in. Yes, sir. I said, how many square feet an acre? Uh, I don't know. And I look at my watch go like, okay, like you got a couple of minutes to figure this out. He runs out, comes back, uh, 43,560 square feet. And I go, all right. Go get me some coffee. <laughs> <laughs> he got it right. Yeah. And, uh, right about the same time, just to show you how God works out things, a case of water was being delivered to the office, UPS. And uh, I said, Leonta, can you put the water up? Yes, sir. So he's in a suit and tie and his hands and knees, you know, putting this water up in the cabinet in the lower shelf. And li literally at that moment, doesn't have an epiphany. It's like God said, Dallas, that was you when you were trying to get in the real estate business, but there was nobody who looked like you who could help you. You can help this kid unlike anybody was ever able to help you. And it was literally at that moment at that time, I realized what God had called me to do. And within two weeks of that same time, God told me, train him up as a son, but this will be the one who will take over your company when you are 60 years old. And so last year I turned 60 and we had a handing of the baton and um, Leonte 
was named president of the company. I'm still CEO and, yeah. and, and founder, yeah. but, and I'm, I'm, I'd like to, I'm not in the corner office anymore. Leontay's in the corner office. Okay. And uh, in fact, he was like, Dallas, we don't have to move. I said, no, you got to move. I said, you, if we're going to have a change, people need to see a physical change. If I name you president and I still sit in the corner office, it really, nothing's changed. So I moved, I'm down next door to the C, COO, Dexter Warrior, my, my business partner, Dexter and myself and Leonta are the three managing partners of the firm. Um, and so I hadn't looked back now, like literally God's timing and what he said was just perfect. And um, I tell people all the time, in fact, at the, the handing of the baton, I said a lot of rambling things, but the main message to Leonte was simply this. Listen and do. Listen for what God would have you to do and do that. It's, it's as simple as that. And so I fast forward, man. We've been together now almost a year I, with him as president. Him as president. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Uh, my birthday is August 23rd. And um, so I'm I'm looking at kind of what God is doing. And Leontay's a big planner. So he's been building the, uh, the boat, if you will, uh, talking to all the folks you can think of in terms of it's his vision that to create this company and turn it into a billion dollar company. Hmm. He said that uh, a few years ago before he, he was president. And I remember just kind of receiving the words from his mouth because let me go back a little bit. So Brian Jordan was my business partner. In fact, that's how I met Leonte. Brian Jordan used to play baseball for the Braves and football for the Falcons. In fact, I think it was prime time and uh, Bo Jackson and, uh, and, and Brian Jordan and Brian. were all playing, you know, double sports at the same time, both baseball and football. And so, you know, we had a business a development business and I was this chief operating officer, but it was 2004 to 2006 when the whole world fell apart. And when that happened, um, I was real clear on what I needed to do to go back to my core business, which was always brokerage. And I had a meeting with Leontay and I said, Hey man, I want to be respectful. I met you because of um, Brian Jordan and I'm going to start my own firm, go back to brokers. But if you want to stay with Brian, I understand. I get it. But before I can say, if you want to roll with me, before I could get that out, he's like, I'm rolling with you, Mr. Smith. It was this, it was this confidence that he had. And I liken it to what Peter said about Jesus. You know, like, I know who you are. It was the faith that he had. Uh, And Jesus said to him, you know, you're the rock that I'm going to build this on, right? And he said that with that kind of confidence. And so that was almost 17 years ago. And when he made that same declarative statement about making this a billion-dollar company, I received it the same way. What what was the time difference from when you had to admit when he started, when you were like, oh, wow, I'm not getting rid of this guy to him saying, I'm rolling with you. How long had you been working two together? Two weeks. 
No, no, but when you from from that time to when you were saying I'm going to go back to just tenant rep, like it was the same two, two weeks? weeks. Oh wow, yeah, okay. okay. So I mean, him. Let's just say arbitrarily, it was you know November first, November fourteenth. It was yeah. I was I was rolling out. Okay, so it's let me ask. So another another question. You mentioned that when you had that epiphany, when you said, "Yeah, man, like this is what I was. This is me. Like this is what I was doing." This what was me. what was the difference in time between that epiphany for, to when you were first starting out? Which I guess that was when you were like eighteen, nineteen years old. So that's a good question. So I started in nineteen eighty two. Had to do the math. Nineteen eighty two, and this is two thousand six. Okay. <laughs> so one one of the things that that is uh and again I don't there's a lot of this detail in in your book. So that time of you hustling, finding your way, yes. learning these lessons in the industry, you doing those things to me it was really that moment was so impactful to me as as a as a reader because you can see how like you're you're just out there hustling. You're trying to make it work. You're trying to figure it out. Yeah. And then yeah. you forget like, oh, wait, I have a different calling here. Like there's something else that I, that is the why, like another why yeah. here to do that. Um, well, I mean, you're, you're absolutely right. So to answer your early question, Dustin, so I've been in the business 24 years from 82 to 2006, right? So 24 years I've been in the business, but I hadn't been in my calling. Mm. And so I explained people this way. 2006 is when I came into my full calling. Mm-hmm. And that calling is to bring people of color into this industry. Number one, through exposure. That's the mm-hmm. same reason I wrote the book. So I wouldn't have, but for writing the book and I wouldn't have met Dustin. Mm-hmm. You know, I wouldn't have met you. Oh, I, I was coming, I was coming for you. <laughs> <laughs> but what I realized is, there's power in representation. You know, I think about, yeah. I'm, a, I'm a golfer now. I play a lot of golf. Tiger Woods got into, before Tiger Woods and, you know, post-Tiger Woods. I just never had an interest in really watching golf. It seemed very boring to me, very slow. Then when Tiger started playing, I remember the first time he won the Masters, I recorded it on a VHS at my parents' house. We watched it. And it became so real to me. It became, this is possible for you too. And I think oftentimes for people who don't wear the skin that we were in, often I think take it for granted because if the last previous, you know, 70 presidents have been white men, <laughs> you don't think anything about it. It's just, that's your normality, right? But if you see the first this or the first that, for the first time, it puts you in the mindset of, hmm, that's, as my, my buddy Egbert Perry says, I have market permission to do that. Mm. And he has a book coming out called Market Permission. So <laughs> you're hearing about it here. Uh, <laughs> but I, it's so true. You know, it's like it, the market gives you permission to be able to do this thing. And it goes so far. And so now, I mean, Herman Russell was that guy for me. We both, Egbert and I both worked for Herman. And Herman was a guy with a speech impediment from Jim Crow, Georgia. I mean, I mean, he was from Atlanta, but I mean, during the days of Jim Crow, when he, tell, he tells the story, he told me the story where 
he thought his first name was the, was the N-word because that's how often people used the word back then. Wow. And so from this was also a guy who later created the largest construction, a black-owned construction company in the country. He was on Air Force One in his 40s because he was close to Jimmy Carter, when Jimmy Carter from governor to president. So here's a guy we saw do these things. And what he did for me more than anything, I understand now as a 60-year-old man, soon to be 61, Lord willing, that these things, just being in his presence made it very possible for me. And so now doing the transactions that we're doing, I mean, we've got Fortune 50 companies, Fortune 10 companies, Fortune, you know, 50, Fortune 100 companies. It makes it very possible for anybody else who looks like me to say, I can do this too. Yeah. So I'm, I'm extremely excited about what God is doing, what he's, what he continues to do. And uh, very proud of a young man called Leontay Benton. And I'm excited. I'm sitting on the sidelines like a lot of people waiting to see what he brings to the table uh, to make us this billion dollar company. Yeah. And from, from what I've already heard and seen, I mean, you're on your way. So I'm yeah. excited. I'm excited to, to bear witness as well. From, from your lips to God's ears. So, <laughs> so I, I want to ask you something else because I think that market, that market position um, permission there's something that you reference in, in the book that when you talk about um, being there's a silos of you being you're doing comedian. You're you're a comedian uh, oh, yeah. moonlighting, but you're also doing a commercial. And those lines didn't really intersect. I'm sure there's lessons learned in both of them. Yeah. And you talk about when you have permission to bring your whole self yes. to whatever it is that you do. Can you can you talk a little bit about that and. When, if, if you ever felt like, oh yeah, no, I'm, I'm this and I'm that, and I'm that, I'm all of these things. Can yes. you talk a little bit about that? So, yeah. So, you know, I, here I am in my, I'm 26 years old when I'm at Cushman and Wakefield and I'm the only black broker there and with they're owned by the Rockefeller. So the MO for Cushman at that time, if you didn't come from money, you didn't work at Cushman. I mean, I worked with some Rothschilds, Rockefellers. I mean, people with names that were different than Smith. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I grew up as a, my dad drove a taxi and worked at Lockheed. My mom kept kids at the house. So very blue collar family. Um, so the idea of being in a place like that and into, in my head being stereotyped was something that I did not want to happen. So I knew we had market permission to be a comic to be funny, but I was here to be a business person and to be taken serious. So in my head, I had to bifurcate these two people. Mm-hmm. I didn't want them to know I was a comedian. And in my comic world, they didn't know I was a real estate guy. <laughs> in fact, I have, I have a story I don't think I've ever told. I have to tell you the story. So um, there's a Christian organization called Young Life. And so I was heavily into church and young life used to do programs. And so, because I was, I, I was, I did comedy in the church. That's actually where I started. So the uh, Dennis Pete, who was running uh, young life in Atlanta asked Dallas, can you come up and run program? I said, what is that? He said, well, you'll, you know, you make skits and you get to get do comedy. And, but basically the whole goal was to lead kids to, to Christ. I said, sure, I can do that. So I did young life 
for about five years, only as you know, a program guy. So I was, every time I came to Young Life, I was doing comedy, and basically the whole point was to try to lead, lead kids to, to, to Christ. And there was a guy named Harold Milton who used to also come. And Harold was a lawyer. I knew he was a lawyer, but I didn't know what kind of lawyer, who was, you know, he knew me as a comic. I knew him as a lawyer. We were both there kind of ministering to kids. And, that, you know, that was sort of the, the life. Kind of fast forward, I have an opportunity. I tell the story in the book where I got called in on a deal because they needed color on the deal. <laughs> so we get the deal done. It happened to be the Georgia Lottery. And it was 125 plus thousand square feet foot deal. And somebody from the States coming over, you know, we're making a big deal out. They're going to come over to sign the contract on behalf of the governor and this kind of stuff. I'm in a room with say 12 people. I'm the only black person in there and I'm 12th man down on the deal team. Uh, and you know, I don't have my glasses on. And so this person walks in, all I see immediately is that he's a black person getting ready to sign this deal. So I said, oh, okay, that's, I get why you need a different color on the deal. Before he got ready to sign it, he goes, he stops, goes, is that Dallas Smith? So everybody's like, oh. and he goes, man, that guy is funny. And so it was Harold Milton. <laughs> he worked <laughs> with the governor, and he was the one signing the lease on behalf of the Georgia Lottery, the very first one. And so at that moment, I was like, Dude, if I hadn't bifurcated my life, <laughs> yeah. if if we'd have known, you know, what I did and what he did, if, if, who knows how that story could have came out. Um, but to be a 60-year-old man now who, you know, at a certain point, I when I turned 50, Dustin, only way I can say it is the way my dad used to explain it. I knew at 50 I was a grown-ass man, okay? Yeah. <laughs> it was like no more bifurcating myself. There's no... You know, even people who listening to this, you know, with your private Facebook page and your private this page and then your business this page. Let me explain to you. There's only one you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Period. And that whole that whole self needs to show up. Yeah. Because the very reality of it is I was doing myself a disservice by not being a whole person. By thinking I had to be this way over here and this way over here. The reality of it is, love me or hate me, I need to be me. Mm -hmm. And that's the one thing that I'm so grateful for now. Again, I, I look now at older people, like my grandmother lived to be in her 90s. And the one thing about her, anything she thought was going to come out of her mouth. <laughs> so if a young lady showed up with a skirt that she thought was too short, she was like, oh, baby, that skirt, that is too short. I mean, it, and we go, grandma, you know. But as I get older, <laughs> it's like, what am I holding back for? I'm going to I'm going to give you my truth for whatever that truth is. Yeah. You know, I think this, um, there's so many layers here. And I, I think I, I had a conversation with somebody, I guess, a little over a year ago. And I was I was talking about a similar concept where I was saying that the circles, the Venn diagram of my life doesn't really overlap. Because some of the people I, I like the same music as don't like the same sports that I like and don't work in my career. And I was just saying like, these circles in my life just aren't overlapping. And they said to me, well, have you ever have you ever thought that there are no circles that you're yeah, just you're just making circles? And for me, it was such a um, 
liberated. Well, not yet. I mean, first it was just like a a bubble got popped and I was like, wow, you're right. But then digging deeper, it's like, well, why are you right? Making these circles. And it's a protect, it's a protection activity. You know, it's, it's, you're, you're separating these things, but I think acknowledging that and recognizing that is the first step of getting to bring in your whole self. Amen, brother. And I, and I'm at the point now, uh, I'm, you're going to get what you're going to get from me. <laughs> now, Cause the other thing, when you do that, Dustin, you only leave people two choices. They either going to like you or not like you. Mm. And if they not, if they don't like you, like you'll be okay. <laughs> that's, that's not the person that's supposed to be in your, in your sphere anyway. But guess what? If they do meet you and they like you and they're getting a hundred percent of you, odds are you're gonna get a hundred percent of them too. Mm. So I, I'm so grateful when I think about the clients that we have. The guy you're talking to here is the same guy that talks to our clients. Yeah. I mean, same, I mean we, we have just awesome relationships because I'm not. They're not meeting a counterfeit Dallas. They're meeting. They're meeting me a hundred percent. I am who I am. Love me or hate <laughs> me. I am. I am who I am. I'm going to be who I am, and that's such a freedom at this point. So, well, right. another thing I wanted to ask you about, you know, your your journey, and I think you touched on a little bit about, you know, when you're 50, you're like, nope, I'm grown. <laughs> but there's there's always, from from my experience, uh, you know, there's always room for for learning for growth. Absolutely. Is there is there any process that you have? Because uh, again, big part of this is tools, talents, and techniques. And yes, you, you talk a lot in your in your book about the you know the different talents that you have and and some of the some of the techniques. But is there anything like a process that you have for, I guess, gaining more knowledge or your self professional or personal growth? So one of the pillars that we have at T. Dow Smith and Company is always stay green enough to grow. So what that means is you've got to put yourself around circles that people are much smarter than you. <laughs> so the, my buddy who I mentioned a minute ago, Egbert Perry, if you don't know who he is, one of the baddest real estate guys around, hell of a developer. His company's called Integral, uh, the Integral Company. So I mean, I'm, he, when I'm around him, I feel smarter <laughs> just by being around him. There's another guy named Young Wu who's a developer out of New York. These are guys I, I try to keep in my circle. They're, they're keeping me polished, if you will. There's a scripture that says, iron sharpens iron just as one man sharpens another. But if you're the, the, the brightest light in your circle, <laughs> you need to reach out <laughs> and, and get uncomfortable with some folks who are smarter than you, brighter than you. Um, and I, I think that's within the, with the walls of this company to always find people who can keep you sharp and to keep yourself in a place where you're staying green enough to grow. Cause the minute you've stopped being green enough to grow, it's called decay and you die. Mm. And so my whole thing is always keep that, keep the people around me who are much sharper than me. And I, I've only named a couple of them, but there's a lot of other people who are a lot sharper than me. And I'm, I'm glad to be in the midst of them and, you know, just, the questions I was just at uh, the power network conference just this weekend with George Frazier. 
uh, who's a hell of a, a think tank guy. When you think about some of the things that he's written over the years, uh, you know, greatness is in, was in our people. I'm, I'm messing up the, the title of his book, but Click was one. But very, this, the idea of getting together a think tank um, is more and more what we need to do. Eleanor Roosevelt had a saying, I'm paraphrasing it, small minds discuss people, Average minds discuss events, but great minds discuss ideas. And so the idea is you ought to keep people around you that keeps you thinking. And that was Denzel Washington. I was at Denzel. That's in the book. I talk about being at Denzel Washington's <laughs> house. And he's showing this plaque in his yard uh, that had that saying on it. And he hits me. That's the kind of thing we need to do. Just get together from time to time. Talk about ideas. And that just sparked a thing with me. So the minute I got back into Atlanta, the first person I called was Egbert Perry. And so we get together from time to time, just trying to solve problems. Mm -hmm. And um, I I mean, my friendship with him is, I always call him big brother because I feel like the little brother next to him. He doesn't like that so much because he's older. than me. (laughs) But, uh, you know, I think that's what we have to do from time to time. Well, from time to time, I say more than from time to more time. Than, and, yeah. and one Make of the things that, yeah. it's a lifestyle. And I think yeah. I, I feel that having a sense of curiosity and one of the things I think we share this in common, but making things better or yeah. asking in the right way of why do we do this? Or is there a better way to do this? Is there a faster way? Or, huh, I really like the, you know, I really like the way this, let me find out more about that. So having that curiosity and being proactive in yeah. trying to find the answer or a better way or a faster way, a more yes. efficient way is it's a, it's a mindset more than anything. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think if you're keeping people around you sharper than you helps you to stretch. And I, and I mm-hmm. go, I talk about this a little bit in the book too. I talk about um, Troy and Stacy Gibbons. So, mind you, I mentioned to you, I'm from Atlanta, born and raised. We moved to College Park, and I'm at Lakeshore High School with less than 5% black folks. Um, first day I ever dealt with racism was the day I moved there. You know, that's a whole nother subject. It's in the book. But one of the things about it, when I was at school, I, I saw Stacy, uh, and he's, he waved, I waved. So, two black guys were glad to see each other. And so we end up, he said, man, you should come by the house sometime. So we end up going by the house. Stacy was my age, 14, and Troy was 13. And they're brothers. And I go visit them, and their mom's like, uh, you know, are you Ty? everybody called me Ty back then. Are you Ty? I said, yes, ma'am. She said, well, Stacy and Troy's upstairs. You, you'll hear them. You'll hear them talking. I go upstairs, and they're having this debate. And the debate was, Stacy's telling the younger brother, you won't be able to afford a Porsche 911. You'll just be in your residency. <laughs> this is the conversation they're having, Dustin. At this time, I'm looking at both walls that shared a room. Both walls is what we would now call vision boards. They had a vision board on both boards. Now, mind you, at the time, I didn't, you know, it was a Morehouse pendant on both sides. They both ended up being Morehouse graduates. One was going to be a surgeon, the other was going to be a, a dentist. Uh, the, the one with the 9-11 had the 9-11, black 9-11 on the wall. So they had their entire lives mapped out. Now, my wall, I had a picture of Dr. J and Shaka Khan. <laughs> so <laughs> I had no vision board, Dustin. So I remember leaving their house thinking to myself, 
dude, you got to get your stuff together. You're 14 years old and you have not figured your life out yet. Because <laughs> listening to these guys, they had it all figured out, man. I'm glad to say they both did what they said they were going to do. One's a surgeon, one's um, a dentist. So. Well, did they, for, to your best of your recollection, did they have those people in their lives to see that? So their father was in real estate, always kept them, you know, pushed them to be their greater selves. So and if I'm not mistaken, I want to say their father went to Morehouse. Don't hold me to that. But their father was the one that set these standards. And I didn't have it to your point. I had nobody pushing me even to go to college. Like, as I mentioned to you, both of my parents are, you know, blue collar people. Um, if I just gotten a job at the post office, my, my parents would have been ecstatic. You know, I, mm-hmm. I'd have a good job with good benefits and that, that would have been more than enough for my dad. But just having been at their house was enough to make me say, Hey, there's more out here. Yeah. And that's when I started doing the research, trying to figure out again, I didn't know really what I wanted to be. I just knew I wanted to make a lot of money. So I just studied people who made money. It made sense to me as a, as a 19 year old kid. Well, this goes back to what we were talking about before, about exposure. Yeah. And I've heard the expression, you can't be what you can't see. And yeah. even if somebody opens that door, a crack that you're like, Oh, some, cause sometimes you don't even know there's a door there, Yeah, you yeah. know? And, yeah. and one of the things that, that we talked about before is, um, you know, o- opening a door for somebody, but sometimes yeah. It's not even just about opening the door. It's about showing somebody, A, there is a door, that there yeah. are doors beyond that door, and yeah. and opening it, holding it open, it, and, shi- and shining a light on it so people know that there are other options. And, and yeah, it's, it's so powerful. Dustin, I know you've met these same kind of people I'm going to describe. People who were born on third base. <laughs> so all they had to do was crawl to home plate. When we're driving around trying to find the stadium. That's how I, we didn't even know that, that we could get in the stadium. Where's the door to the stadium, let alone play the game. So what we're trying to do to your point, not only have we identified the stadium, we found where the door is. we got other people playing now and you can play the game too. Mm. It's a powerful, it's a powerful even thought. And then one, one of the things that is an exercise in, in all of this Yeah is when you do come across the people that are born on third base and, you know, not their fault, but it's like when people are born on third base, but they (laughs) act like they, they, uh, they did it. So, but there's so much, there's so much to to think about here. And also there's something else also about not messing it up. Cause I know people that are born on third base that, you know, are, will stay on third base. Uh, I know some other people that will get, get caught snoozing and get thrown out on third. <laughs> and then right. there's other people that, you know, can, can grow and build that. And so there's something there too. Uh, it's just, it's just a whole, whole lot to think about and digest. But then also mm-hmm. I think one of the things that I, I really want to touch on with you is how to maintain a sense of balance, like how, how to not become cynical, how not to um, become negative in a way, as you're fighting the uphill battle. Yeah. You know, I, and I, I look at it this way. When I even think about the, the kids are the ones who were born on third base, right? So let's take Henry Ford, for, for example. Uh, 
Henry wasn't born on third base. So he created this thing, if, if the phrase out of the mud, if you will. But he had that drive. Like what's there's a commonality between people who are successful, particularly I think from the founders. When I think about Bill Gates being in the garage or you know, Zuckerberg being in I mean, you think about where these guys started. What did they have in common? When I think about Dr. Schwartz, who wrote the book, The Magic of Thinking Big, who was a professor of mine. He described it as it. You have it. And a lot of these people have it. And I'd say it is that drive. You know, some, some of us say that dog, you got to go at it. So I, I, I've had that since I was an eight-year-old kid. It's birthed really from my mother. My mother was the one who said, Ty, you ought to go ask the Flanagans if you can cut their grass. And the only question that came out of my mouth was, how much should I charge? This is the mind of an eight-year-old that tells me, kid, you had it. And so I ran next door. They hired me and paid me in five silver coins, silver dollars. I actually have my first silver dollar hanging in my office. So I say that to say there's certain people, despite the race, despite what neighborhood they grew up in, they just have it. Yeah. And you give me somebody who has it, like Leonte, just had it, period. He was, he was not going to allow me to, you know, have him do all this ridiculous stuff and still not get the knowledge that he wanted to get from me. Yeah. And so when you have it, and if you say, Hey, I don't know if I have it or not. I've, I've heard, I've heard a good thing about that. Like if you have to, if you don't know what it is, you have to don't have it. <laughs> exactly. If you, if you have to ask, you don't have it. But yeah. to that person who's not going to be stopped, I tell people, and I say this in my book, I don't care if it's a mountain in front of you, a moat or whatever. I was going to figure out how to get through this, how to get mm-hmm. around it. And it was, I never really took it personal in terms of things that people did with me or how they handled me. I just, in my head, I thought to myself, you just don't know me. My job is to make sure that you get to know me. And the whole you. I, I think I think you. that now that you're... That's fantastic. Absolutely. And that may take time. I mean, I've had people, uh, you know, I can't say those those names, but I've had people who were definitely not only blocked the door, but they put the padlocks up and, not, you know, <laughs> put two by fours across, nailed them shut to make sure that I'd never got in the door. Fast forward 41 years later, a lot of these same people are telling my people, oh, Dallas and I have been close for years. We've been buddies a long time. Never had water, never shared a glass of water with the people. Mm. So people will rewrite their story to include you, include themselves in it, which is so funny to me. But it takes me back to my original premise. You just don't know me yet. So my job is to get to where I know God is calling me to be. And if I do that, you're going to do you got one or two places. You're going to get on board with me or you're going to attempt to still try to, you know, stop everything. But only to your own detriment. I don't have to fight my battles. He he'll fight them for me. And when you when you think about sometimes when you're when you're up against challenges, obstacles, however you want to, you want to phrase that, mm-hmm. is there? And I know you you're you're very you're um, a man of the book. Do you consciously separate that moment from your reaction? Does that make sense? Um, okay, I'm trying mm-hmm. to think of the best way to say this. 
sometimes when you're up against a challenge and you're like, oh, okay, I have it. I'm going to get over this, whatever. But is there anything in your mind that you, that you, the way you look at things, is it just reactionary now? Or do you still have to pause sometimes to say, okay, don't, don't do this, but like, think about this before you take the next steps. I'll give you one example. I talk about this in my book. Um, I was in New York city at the first C5 conference for the National Association of Realtors. And we're talking about the lack of diversity and this kind of stuff on panel. I'm, I'm on a panel with Mitch Rudin, who I think is a great guy. He's the CEO of Savills, which is a large um, billion dollar plus um, real estate firm here in the, in the States. And there was a question that came with time to Q&A. There was a question that came out of the audience. And this was the question. Dallas, um, I hired a I hired a color guy once. This is this is in twenty twenty one. I hired a color guy once, and you know it really didn't just work. It didn't work out. Now the question I have is, how can I get people to assimilate to my culture? This was the question. And so, Dustin. When he made this the comment about I had a color guy once, you could hear the room go audibly, oh, like, oh my God. So now everybody's looking at me like, how's Dallas going to answer this question? And this is how I answered the question, Dustin. I said, well, I said, myself and Dexter Warrior, we're the two oldest guys in my shop. Now, if I only hire people my age, who've got my experience, I'm only going to get a Dexter or a Dallas. I said, what I've learned is I've got to bring in the person who doesn't have a clean cut haircut. They may have dreads. They may have a different look or whatever. It's not their look that I'm trying to get. It's their talent. And so, so the next time you have a confronted with something like this, what I would ask you to say is consider them as a person that may come to you and help change your organization. And he said, oh, thank you, Dallas, and sat down. Now, why did I take that approach? I took that approach because if I address the racism that was embedded in the question, he may not hear me. So it becomes a you versus them immediately versus let me get to really the question. The real question is, how do I change and become a better organization? And I would I'd challenge it by don't try to get everybody who's just like you. And the places, you know, received it and clapped. And I think as you get older, wisdom should kick in. <laughs> mm. Also, my, my parents were not, my parents always allowed me, raised me in a way to look for the good in people. Even when they're being evil or me, to look for the good in people because there's good in people. And I've chosen to look for that, to get to know people. I've had some of the most, if you look at my friends, Dustin, you'd be like, okay, how did that happen? Because I connected with that person in some form or fashion. They may have, I've got three daughters. They may have three daughters. I started a business from nothing, they started a business from nothing. They grew up on this side of town. I grew up on that side of town. I find for things that will connect us. That's always my ground zero. I'm looking for things that connect us, not things that separate us. 
And I don't care who, who you are. You might be wearing a Klan outfit. That's I'm still going to try to find something that, oh, you've got the same shoes I have. I have those shoes too. I'm going to find a way to connect us. And over time, those things, it, people change. Those things work. And the ones that don't change and don't work, they're not supposed to be in your in your circle at all. And that's because they fired themselves. It wasn't because you fired them. No. If that makes sense. It makes perfect sense. And it's a beautiful it's a beautiful expression. Um it's a beautiful sentiment. When, when do you if at all, like when when do you know when it's when it's when it's too far gone? You're like, oh wait, no, I I just gotta let go of this rope. I mean, <laughs> you know, they, they they ignite themselves. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Certain things are just you can't come back from. And if, yeah. you, if you, the one thing I appreciate about God, and, and again, I'm now I'm, let me explain something to you, Dustin. If you come to any where I'm speaking, you're gonna hear a couple of things. You're gonna see a couple of things. You're gonna you're gonna hear me quote scripture. You're gonna hear me curse, and you're probably gonna see me cry. These are just this is who I am as an older man now. Mm. What I've learned is because our cuss doesn't negate what I've just given you as a truth. God used a donkey to deliver a truth. So if he can use a donkey to deliver a truth, a truth is truth is truth. Whether that truth may come out of the mouth of somebody who was cussing before or a truth is truth. So I try to find the truth in the statement to find the truth in that person, the good in that person. Now, the minute I find out that is not the case, I've given you a clear chance, a clear something. Like I tell people, and I've said this in the book, it's nothing to have friends when you have money. But when you don't have money and you look around and see those one or two people still hanging with you, those are true friends. Those are true friends. And unfortunately, that's a tough lesson to learn, particularly when you have people who are very close to you and do something contrary to what you would have thought they would have done. But I take all those lessons. I think all that helps you to become a wise person. And my prayer every day is, God, give me wisdom. Give me wisdom. And through wisdom, you learn to cut, you know, the wheat from the shaft. You learn One of the things that you, I think, dovetails well with this is you mentioned about the the people that you're around, and the and you mentioned certain networking groups that that you're in. Is there? Um, could you just walk through the process of how you how you choose? Because again, you're doing deals, you're you're working with people, all you're, you're playing golf, you're doing all these things. You got to be somewhat selective, or maybe not somewhat. You got to be selective with your time and where when you're allocating. Is there? Um, a thought process that, that you do, like which, which groups, which networks, which, which, which circles that, that you're going to be around? You know, it's actually probably contrary to what you think. I, I'm probably not that selective with my time. Hmm. I've just learned that if you're hunting elephants, you got to go where elephants go. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you, uh, Andy Gertner, who's what I call a godfather tenor rep here in Atlanta, was a broker when I was a Cushman. Still, you know, uh, he just turned 80. But Andy was a guy who poured into T. Dallas Smith and Company when I first got started. And I asked him if he would mind to sit down with me and Leontay and Kelly uh, to talk about 
the structure of my firm. So this is one of the statements he made. And we've turned that into a something that we call activity goals. So I would say, Andy, did you have a financial goal every year that you were going after? He said, no, I didn't. He said, I would just do these things. I was like, what, what things do you do? He said, well, like, I'm just using this example. Like maybe on Mondays and Wednesdays, I'd go to Capitol Grill. You know, Tuesdays and Thursdays, I'd be at Ann's League Golf Club, and I'd be at this other, maybe the Ritz called another day. And then he said, I would do these. I said, so you had activities. Uh, yeah. So we, we reduced that to paper. So every year we do something that we call activity goals. A simple activity goal may be the concept of owning a restaurant. Not where you actually own the restaurant, but Dustin, but you go there so much that people think you own the restaurant. <laughs> And that you always tip the valet guys, you know, so they park you up front. So this was something I got from Andy. I've been doing it for 20 plus years now. But so the Ritz Carlton downtown is my is my restaurant. So in downtown Atlanta. So when you go there, when I pull up in the valet, they already got me. They, you know, the, the, the captains, they've got me. Hey, Dallas, and I come out. 95% of the time, my car is going to be, whether it's a pickup truck or whatever, it's going to be parked up front in front of the Bentley. And so when I come out, when everybody else is waiting on their car, everybody's looking like, they go, oh, no, they pulled my truck up already, and I'm gone. This was the thing Andy said. When you leave, people go, who was that guy? Very simple. And, you know, $20 tip to the valet. It's not that you're really paying the valet. You're paying that $20 for advertisement. <laughs> oh, yeah. So the simple technique like that is something that we've used and I continue to use. And by the way, I love that restaurant. Um, there's other places that from being selective with the time. Why do I go to Ritz Carlton? Because that's where elephants go. It may be the same reaches for you or it may be, but you got to go where the elephants go. So if you if you're hunting chipmunks you're gonna go where the chipmunks go but if you hunt the elephants you better go where the elephants go go to the conferences go to the places where you're going to meet elephants otherwise you're going to always kind of be where you are and so that's another thing about when you did comedy when i when you do comedy it's it's probably the the thing i would recommend every business person do why because when you're up there with just a microphone and a spotlight and you've got three minutes to make people laugh. <laughs> you hone in really quickly what your messaging ought to be. It's nothing like it, man. Yeah. It's also nothing like when it lands, that thing you've worked, and when it lands, oh, Dustin, there's no feeling like it. Yeah. But now it's the same thing when we're pitching business. I'm just telling you, if you're coming behind us, we're, we're not your typical PowerPoint. That's not us. It's not what we do. When we come in, we have a messaging together in terms of what we're going to do and how we're going to do it for that crop, that company. And it's really, I'm telling you, it's hard to come behind a company. That's all I'll tell you. Yeah. It's well, because you have to be quick with it. You have to be sharp. You have to be fast on your feet. Answer those questions they hadn't even asked you yet. And be sincere about it. It's not, you know, you're not placating just to try to get people's business. That's not what you're doing. You're really trying to get to the place to help them with what the problem they have. They have. And I tell people I'm in the business of solving real estate problems. 
Mm. That's the business we're ultimately in. Well, you know, it, early on in the in the book, you're talking about your journey, and you mentioned the difference between Professor Schwartz and Professor Stanley. Yeah. I believe it was, yeah. and you talk about the the difference, right? Yeah. You juxtapose the two, and yeah. you come out of one with these these tools of like, oh yeah, this is this is how I I operate. This is how you do it. Yeah. And then you go with the other one. You're like, oh wait a minute, there's <laughs> a total different way to do this. Yeah. And the the magic, the wisdom that I see in, in your journey and what you you've expressed um, through various different methods is how you weave those two together. And you become you, like yeah. the full you, and like, and that's that's the wisdom. That's, Dude, that's the wisdom. His, you know, Doctor Schwartz, who you're alluding to, wrote the book "The Magic of Thinking Big." His thing was big, 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 big. And then Tom Stanley, who wrote the book "The Millionaire Next Door," was really small, small, small. His thing was the average millionaire owned a home that was two hundred fifty thousand dollars and lived in a typical neighborhood, drove a pickup truck, a Ford F one fifty. Uh, so they were very different. And so I was trying to bring Swartz to Stanley's class. That didn't work. Hmm. I had to learn really quickly to, to change things. And I'm so grateful for the lesson I got from both of them. You don't have to be an either or. You can be both. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, who is going to make you the better you? So when I look in the mirror every day, my job is to walk away and say, hey, you did a good job being you today, Dallas. I wasn't trying to be somebody else. I need to be 100% me. I'm real clear. I tell people, you know, God had Noah to build the ark. You know, he told um, Moses, you know, go let my people go. You have these declarative statements that God has given you. Our journey really at the end of the day, Dustin, is to find out, God, what is it that I'm supposed to be? Why was I birthed? Why am I on this planet? And once you figure that out, Come hell or high water, nothing can get in your way. Well, to that, I think that that's a that's a very remarkable statement you made. That who is going to make you the better you? And in many instances, it seems like it's not it's not going to be well. The one person is you. You make you a better you, and it's by the decisions that you make. And yeah. you can make better decisions by being around people that help you think, help you process, that push you. And so, yes, that's that's really impactful. I, you know, I think at the end of the day, you have to ask yourself if, if we both drop dead right now. <laughs> were you doing the thing you wanted to do in that moment? And I would say absolutely yes for me. I tell people the idea of retirement is, you know, when Leonte became president of the company, people's assumption was that I retired. No, I just rewire. Mm. So, and I'm, I'm doing a Herman Russell retirement now. What Herman Russell was, he said, yeah, I've retired. I, he said, I just don't work 80 hours a week now. I only work 40. <laughs> so the idea of retirement to me just makes absolutely no sense because I absolutely love everything about what I do. And why would somebody quit doing something that they love, that they absolutely love? I think the idea of retiring from something you don't love makes sense. (laughs) But if I'm doing what I really love, I found that calling. I'm doing the thing God made me to do. Dude, if they find me on the keyboard dead here, you'll say, all right, Dallas went out the way. (laughs) Wanted to go out. 
you know, maybe I'm in, I'm in bed sleep the night before, before you come to work, but I'm going to, you're going to find me doing the business. You're going to find me doing the business of what I'm supposed to be doing, period. Yeah. And the way that you've crafted this to your why and the skills that you bring that I've seen you do and the deals that you're doing, I mean, that, that's one thing, right? And that's it's, it's remarkable, very impressed and proud of you for everything yeah. you're doing. But the other things that I see you doing and, and providing that exposure, um, helping people in their journey, being so open with your time and resources to help people get to where they want to get. It's, it's use this word a lot here, but it's, it's remarkable. Well, I, I appreciate it. Dustin. I mean, and I think about one of the questions I asked you earlier, I was like, man, how did you even find me? <laughs> so, mm. I'm always, but for me, what your answer was confirmation to what God said to me. When I started this firm, he gave me, one word when you get one started the business gave me one word that word was exposure i was like well how am i gonna how am i gonna pay my house no how am i gonna pay my because i had no money i'd lost everything and the only word i got from him was exposure and so we fast forward in 2023 having started this business in 2007 march 2007 the way i met you is through exposure somebody told you about me you heard something the thing that god said was going to be the key has been the key and is the key. And so my job is to continue to do the work. You know, somebody said the ministry of CRE, <laughs> I was mm. speaking in um, <laughs> Dallas, Texas. And the guy said, Dallas, continue. He wrote, he sent me a very nice note. He said, continue your ministry of CRE. And I just, I said, I'm going to use that. <laughs> he said, yeah, absolutely. And so that's really what this is, man. And, the other thing I did not know, obviously God knew, I didn't know, is the joy that I would get out of seeing people coming to their own. Mm-hmm. The thing I asked Leontay, I said, man, I need five years of your time. Now, mind you, he was a sophomore in college, just like I was a sophomore in college when I got into the business. I said, I need five years of your time. I guarantee you one thing. You Five years from now, you'll be making more money than all your friends. And that kid has done more with the money he's earned than anybody I know. Wow. I'm extremely proud of him. And he's, um, and he's, you know, if you look at our, if you look at the people who are in our office, uh, they tend to look like us. They tend to be younger. And again, let me be clear. Anybody listening to this, I'm not, it's not because we don't want any white people. That's not the case at all. In fact, I would tell you, if you, anybody who's been treated less than, that's people of all elk have been treated less than, we're infirm for you. Um, the, t- the reality of it is white people tend to have a lot more options and a lot of other places to go work than just that T. Dallas Smith and Company. But we're wide open for anybody with a good heart that wants to work hard, that has it that won't be uh, blocked by any mountain in their way, call me. Connect with me on LinkedIn, T. Dallas Smith. Send me messages. Dustin knows that's how we initially connected. So my job is to make myself available for everybody until God says otherwise. 
I'm going to, in the show notes for this, I will have your, a link to, to you profile, to your company's profile. Also your book, uh, in the black, which is, I know running up the chart. So congratulations on, on yeah. that success as well. Um, but more than anything, I just want to, I just want to say thank you for, for everything that, that you're doing and how you're doing it. Um, just extremely impressed. And I, I look forward to, to remaining in touch and supporting you in any way I, any way I can. Dustin, likewise. And I look forward to meeting you one day soon, my friend. Uh, we'll make it happen. It sounds like a date on the golf course is, is due. Hey, let's make it happen. <laughs> let's All, make right. It happen. All right. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Tools, Talents, and Techniques. We hope that you enjoyed the conversation. And if you did find value in the episode, please consider subscribing to the podcast on your favorite platform, leaving a review, and sharing with your network. We have an amazing lineup in the coming weeks and months with some very impressive leaders and some of the heaviest hitters in business who are making a positive impact in the world. So stay tuned for more exciting episodes and special features coming up. We appreciate your ongoing support and look forward to welcoming you back next time on Tools, Talents, and Techniques.